Rabbi, how are you doing? What's up, Josh Kaplan? I'm just going to bring a water. Where are you? Leibowitz, here. Oh, let me see if this is what you said here. He modifies it. I'm happy to just by school. I want to thank both Rabbi Lachman and Tarragon for their time. Not a night that. That Rotarian is officially working. Certainly not a night that uh, Rabbach is officially working, but the, the, the opportunity to share critical ideas of Torah with uh, future leaders and Jewish people was too much for them to, uh, to pass up on. We. Uh, this is yours. It doesn't matter. We have a lot of Siyat Shmaya on this program. Sometimes ideas come into our mind that uh, we don't know where they came from. A lot of years uh, we had the idea of putting. Uh, the great minds of Rabbach and Rotary together to talk about uh, some of these issues. Uh, it turned out to be a highlight of a lot of guys' summer that summer, and, uh, and now we've, uh, we've had this close uh, through many years and many different topics of hearing the brilliance both of Rabbachman and Rotary. Uh, but for me, what's so special is to have that brilliance delivered in such a way that everybody can not only hear it and understand it, but also want to be Kabbalah it and, uh, and change their life according to it. So we very much thank you for, uh, for your time. And moderating tonight, we have this host of Tani Kohn, uh, who will uh, have the guts to ask the questions. We hope to see you live at the end. Wish you luck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sit in the back. Zil Sasharim, in the third parak, talks about the value, work your way through a particular level of the maze of life. There's incredible value in uh, getting the perspective of someone who's past that and is sort of looking back at the level that you're working your way through. And the two men to my left, Remenda Blachman and Ramesh Tarabi, are uh, both people who, uh, between them, I think probably have three quarters of a century of experience dealing with the next level of the maze. They're people who spent many decades of their lives teaching and training people just a couple years older than you. Fellows in the first year of base marriage, fellows in the second year of base marriage, and there's an extraordinary amount, I think, that we can all gain. To gain their perspective, working at the next level, looking back at our level. And thinking tonight, hopefully, over the next period of time that we have with them, about different questions that we think about as we look forward to the junior year of high school, to the senior year of high school, and thinking about how we can make that time most effective. Most effective, most meaningful. And the first question for our panel tonight is the most basic, is we've been talking a lot this summer about learning and thinking a lot this week about sort of thinking about what learning could look like in the coming year. So the first most basic question is, why is it important? Why is it important to be learning? Why is it important to accomplish that and to seek to work towards accomplishing that over the next year or two of high school? Okay. There you go. Okay, good evening. <clears throat> why is it important to be learned? There's two issues. Why is it important to learn? Why is it important to be learned? You mean the second. Very few people are. So I suggest we first start with why is it important to learn. This is a bit uh, repetitious because we actually did this together, I think twice. And you can probably pick it up on whyutori.org. But let's see if we can take another angle or something here anyway. Um, first and foremost, um, the basis of the question bothers me. 
Why is it important to put on tefillin? Do you like black boxes? Why is it important to eat those tasteless wafers on the 15th day of Nisan? Do you really like matzah? Why is anything important? What does one attribute, how does one describe important? Important to you at what stage of life? At the moment, you think certain things are important. Hopefully, you'll grow up and other things will be important. You once thought that lollipops or potato chips were important, especially crunchies. So I think the basis of the question is, is beyond me. Really beyond me. Would you, are you asking why is it important in the eyes of God? I can give you his address. Okay? The real question has to be, the basis of this question is based on something unbelievable, that the perception of religion uh, in our Western world is very, very, very um, homo sapien dominated, almost like God has created a service for us in order to to, uh, better ourselves, and we are the central point of existence. It's simply not true. Well, Christianity thinks so. But Judaism actually believes that God had created this world for his purpose, which is beyond comprehension, and that's the all truth. He has, through divine revelation, told us what his goals are, not the reason of the goals, not the importance of the goals, but what the goals are, and he gave us a roadmap of how to do it. And one of those things is learning Torah. That should be the honest answer to this. Why is it important? Because the Ratzon of a Kaddish Barakle. It's as simple as that. There's no other myth which is all-encompassing, which is say Din of 24-7, period. And anything we do outside of it has to have a matir. I had the schus of discussing this when I was uh, a guest in Alon Shvut not that long ago. Um... I want us to understand what Limit Torah is before we discuss, okay, how can I, what you really ask is, how can I relate to it subjectively? How can I identify with it, but not why it's important? Why it's important because it's Rasana Kaddish Baruch. Why is it Rasana Kaddish Baruch? I really don't know. No one can ever know why God thinks things are important. Just as one cannot say, why did God create the world? Was he missing anything? Is he ever missing anything? So why does he do anything? So that question is really off the charts. The question is why is it important? As best you can say, how can we identify with its importance? What subjective importance can we find in it? That would be an accurate question. And that, my friends, is a truth. As my mind elaborates in his guide, that obviously there are objective reasons for mitzvahs which should be on comprehension of all being, but every person is suggested, he writes, Raui, to try to find subjective reasons for mitzvahs in order to, I would say, connect to them, uh, make it easier for you to do things. And in truth, all mitzvahs do have subjective reasons of betterment of society, humanity, and the world. But they are not the reason, and they are not the reason of their importance. They are reasons which allow us to connect to them, 
making our religious life easier and more meaningful subjectively. I hope this is clear. Now that we defined what the question is and is not, what is the unique importance of this mitzvah to man more than other mitzvahs, for example, tefillin, tzitzis, and mezuzah? That, that is the question <laughs> we have to ask. This is clearly uh, underlined in tefillah. When you say every day in Shemunah at least three times, if you do it on time, it's three times, maybe do more, okay? Uh, uh, you say, When I grew up, Torah Vavodah meant learning Torah and picking oranges in the kibbutz, right? That's what went to Moshe and Wild Rose. I think what ends is like, oh. But, you know, um, uh, that's not what it means in Shemunah Torah v'avodah means Torah, mitzvah Torah, v'avodah means avodat Hashem through mitzvah. Now, by saying that, you're actually saying that there's a value, every Torah is a mitzvah, which is avodat Hashem. Yet, Yishman Esri taught you there's an external value of Torah outside, more than just the broad picture of avodat Hashem. There's Torah and avodat Hashem. Now, what is the value of Torah? in the broader picture of Avaita Sashem. And here let me explain something. I think I've taught this many times. But this really depends what you're looking for in learning. Why is it important to be learned? You see, God, like, wants a relationship with people for whatever reason. I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. He wants you to know him. It's actually the first mitzvah in Sefer mitzvahs. He wants you to know it. He wants you to know it. Why? Because it's a good date. But he wants you to know him. And to know him is to know when you date seriously one day, hopefully, you, um, you're not just like eating spaghetti and, and ice skating and giggling, like many people do, but rather you really want to understand what makes that other person think, feel, move, tick. What are the value systems? What are things which are important? What turns him or her on or off? That's what you want to know. You want to know a Kaddish Baruch because there's a mitzvah to know God. The Ramam say for our mitzvah says this is the mitzvah. Also in Yad, in Perik Alf, you say the Atayra. In Sefer Mitzvah, definitely at least according to the uh, translation of Chaim Heller in Sefer Mitzvah. The mitzvah is not faith, but rather to know. Anybody who is learned, that's what you have to be learned, to knows that. Uh, right, Moshe? I mean, uh, come on. Yeah, we know this. We have to know who it is first, uh, whatever. doesn't matter. Okay? So at the end of the day, um, God wants you to know it. Now, how are you going to know it? What does he look like? He ain't got a beard. No, probably clean shaven, I figure. He's formless. What are you gonna, there's no pinup on him. There's no Gdolim cards or pictures. There's not going to be a book, Reb God. Like today, everyone gets a Reb something book in English. What do you know about him? Well, let's see, he split the sea. That's nice. <laughs> what do you know about him? Do you know what he does, or do you want to understand what his personality is? And that's the closest you're going to get. Now, how are you going to know? You know what you know? 
if you're a um, forensic reader of text, remember the term, ultimately capable of actually truly conceptualizing the revelation of God through those texts, and remember that term, you will finally find out the intellectual, analytical realities which lie in those texts. You will understand the ideas. The ideas, not ideas which come from your local breakfast, lunch, or supper, but actually the ideas which lie in the words of revelation. You will ultimately gather a whole world of ideas which will represent values. You will see the philosophical underpinnings of those mitzvot and those halachos. That's why it's so important not just to know a lot, but more so to understand a lot. And when he asked the question being learned, I understood he meant that. It means you have to know so much to be able to think so much about. Because learning only one little piece gives you a very small almost a myopic view of a broad picture. Can you imagine someone, I don't know, what can I tell you, going to Buckingham Palace and all he sees is the fur on top of the stupid soldier's hat, the strimal he's wearing over there. There's a whole palace there. Can you imagine going to, to, to Paris and all you see is the, the, the two of the Eiffel? I mean, it's a joke. There's so much art and culture there. You don't define things by landmarks. You don't define things by what they call important sugyus. It's nice in camp. It is the broad scope as much as possible of a big picture of Tyra, forensically analyzed, conceptually understood, which will give you a broad understanding of the broad picture of Torah. It's called Lashon Rambam. I once quoted this here. Michlal HaTorah Yeroyali. Lashon of the Rambam and Hilchus Hilchus Malachim Perik Yud. I can't prove my point, but for my broad understanding of Kol Kula, this is what it is. Go argue with him. Your idea of learning Torah, why is it important not just to learn, learn, and learn? I think there's this thing someone sent me recently, Chazorah, Chazorah, Chazorah. Like, learn, learn, learn. And you know what? And ultimately become not just knowledgeable, but intelligent. You can be a Chamor Neishis Forum. You can carry tons of information and understand nothing. Yeah, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, well, this is when I was young. The prime minister in this country was David Ben-Gurion. He was a Polish peasant. Didn't really have an education. The foreign minister was actually an Oxford uh, educa uh, educated young man named Aubrey or Abba Ibn. Now, the Polish peasant, excuse me, the prime minister couldn't handle this, uh, this educated Englishman, which was his foreign minister. He didn't like it. So I remember what, there was a fellow here called Moshe Sharet, and he once told Ben Gurion, He speaks eight languages. And Ben Gurion muttered, 
but he understands nothing in eight languages. You're supposed to learn, learn the eight languages and understand them all. That's what God wants. How is that important? That's why this is a mitzvah which is endless. This is a mitzvah which is really is 24, 7, 3, 6, 5, until, 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 until you can't anymore, which means you're finished. That's what it really is. Until this mitzvah is. But don't think for one minute that you're ever going to get to the top of the mountain. Forget it. No one does. It's impossible. But each and every one of us is put in this world in certain situations and certain skills and certain emotional capabilities and certain backgrounds and we're all commanded to climb that mountain. And you know what? My purpose in life is not yours and yours is not his. And we're all different. No one here is like anybody else. You all came into this world and this part of history for a certain purpose and you have to climb your mountain. And whatever you will get by exerting your effort to the best that you can, that's what God wanted you to be. That's why you should be learned, not just learned. I think that would be enough for the moment. So Reb Lachman answered the question in a timeless fashion, and that's the only way to answer the question, because Torah really is timeless. And it doesn't make a difference whether you live in 2018 or 1818. Torah is beyond time. Torah kod apayim shana. And Torah is the Ratzon Elyon. And it doesn't make a difference, even though each person has their own mountain, the rocks are all the same. And the responsibility is all the same. You know, Rabbi Cohen mentioned before, and when I give him a yashikah for tonight, everyone else that was involved, and Josh is here, and Rabbi Leibowitz, and yashikah, all of your work. The word steig, and all you are looking to be steigers, does anyone know what the word steig means? The word steig in German means to climb mountains. So if you call yourself a steiger, you're a mountain climber. And remember, when you climb a mountain, it's just as hard coming down as it is going up. Sometimes it's harder. So you guys all climbed the mountain this summer. Baruch Hashem, you were very successful. Sometimes when you climb down the mountain, you have to learn how to get back into the real world and we're towering away this Makadeh Shem Shemayim. For in Parshas Peschan, and Hashem tells Moshe, tell the people, Shiva Lechem Lechem. Where else are they going to sleep? Of course they have to go back to their tents. Because sometimes when you go back to places where you've come from, it's hard to bring your tower with you. And before I answer the question, make sure that when you go back to wherever you came from, make sure that all your hard climbing is worn the right way. Because you could ruin an entire summer of your learning in just one minute saying the wrong thing to the wrong person who wasn't in Kolel, is in your school, in your class, in your neighborhood, and all of a sudden that person associates Tara and Akkadish Baruch Hu and Frumkai with ways that may not help that person climb also. You gotta climb up and you have to learn how to climb down. But I want to compliment what Rabbi Blachman said with three short issues about why it's important to learn Tara, not in general, no matter when you live, and even after you live, because it's the only part of your experience in this world that you'll have in the next world. Olam Habab is nothing physical, 
No food, no sports, no bodies. There aren't even any mitzvahs. No lulav, no tefillin, no sechavshim and mitzvahs. The only experience that you taste in this world that you'll extend into the next world and for millions of years afterwards is the Torah you study. It doesn't mean you should skip on mitzvahs for the sake of Torah. You can't learn Torah without on Menasakai mitzvahs, Nachlash Nivra. But just appreciate that when you're learning Torah, you're in the Olam HaNetzach. You're in a different place. You're not in this world anymore. It's the only part of your world that will have relevance. Well, everything will have relevance, but the only part of the world that will be perpetuated in its exact form. You get to Shemayim, the same conversations that took place in this room will take place in Shemayim. Nothing else. Nothing else you talk about will have any meaning in Shemayim. Except for Tavar Hashem. But I also want you to be sensitive to where you live and when you live, as Reb Lachman implied. And I want to mention three reasons, but they're secondary reasons. And I want you to think of them as more important than what Reb Lachman said, because it's always more important to state, and I'm very happy that he stated the absolute. But it's also important to make it relevant to when you live and where you live, because that makes you have greater passion and greater drive and greater awareness. I want you to be aware of three things. Shemisa Hashem Lenegdi Summit means trying to keep a sense of their bonus shalom wherever you are. In every part of your life, every interaction, doesn't mean you're always thinking about Hashem, it means you're orienting your life based on the Ratzon Hashem. And you look at your body, and at some level, you also want to see a healthy body, and you're young, and you want to make sure that body's healthy. But you should associate different parts of your body and your world with mitzvahs. You told the story, so I'll tell more of a raunchy story about a rabbi in Los Angeles. A long time ago, got up for his drasha, Shabbos morning, and he started, and he stood in front of the seaboard, and he held out his middle finger. <gasps> People were fainting in the aisles. Mrs. Greenberg, one pacemaker in the, in the audience, was losing it. They had to call the medics, call Hatzalah, rush my people to the hospital, it's Shabbos Kodesh, Chadish Amenu Kikedem. He waits for the outcry to die down, and he says, look at you. I hold up my tefillin finger, the holiest finger that a Jew has. You put the value, you put the tzuras, halach must be saying on this finger, and that's what you associate. Look at the culture creep, look at where your minds are at. And he gave a beautiful drasha for 20 minutes about how slowly culture creeps in. To the end of the story is they called him the next day into the office and they fired him. <laughs> but they didn't fire him for holding up the finger. They fired him. Who do you think you are? You're the rabbi. You're supposed to talk about the bat mitzvah girl. You're supposed to talk about politics. Say something nice about Israel. You're not supposed to give us musr. How dare you give us musr? You're fired. Let's find another rough. Remember, always find people in this world who are willing to get in your face. Not people who validate who you are and say nice things just to tease your hair in a nicer way and make you look better at yourself in the mirror. You're able to help you expose yourself to the parts that you'd rather not think about that are painful. And those people are not looking to be popular in their life, they're looking to be real, real mirrors of who you really are, not who you tell yourself you are. So you look at your whole body and you try to think about mitzvahs and your whole experiences. And I want to be very, very clear about this, okay? Everyone look at me. You see what I'm touching? My head, my brain. That's not the seed of human identity. That's not where it starts. 
It starts in here. Your heart, your neshama, your intuition, your faith, your passion, your emotions, your drive. That's where it really starts. But this, it is an unbelievable tool that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gifted you with. Are you kidding me? We're first decoding its wonders. Science is first unraveling how the human brain works. So you're going to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with your hands, and you're going to run to tefillah, and with your emotions, and with all your skills, and sit in the sukkah, and daven. And this, the most powerful tool the Rabbon Shalom gifted, and no other animal, no other creature has it, consciousness, and intellect, and cognition, that you'll use at work. That you'll give to the profession, to your career. And part of the reason you study Kodesh Baruch Hu's Torah is to know him and to build that relationship, as Rabbi Achim said. But also to feel Kodesh Baruch Hu, to be able to bring in every moment you're using your brain. And that's the most powerful tool you have. And I say it in our generation, because I want you to be very, very careful. There's a very big danger in our world. You want to insult someone? What's the biggest insult you can give someone? You're an intellectual. Be careful. You're setting your own trap. Because you're training yourself to avoid using your brain for Avodah Hashem. Now, intellectualism is very, very dangerous. Because that, and these are just terms, call them what you want, that implies that it starts with how smart you are, and that's what your real identity is, and you know what? You're all trapped in that rat hole, and it's called North American high schools, and the celebration of that trap is when you graduate and everyone awards the valedictorian because he's the best student. If I had one minute to change high schools in North America, first of all, I'd make Rabbi Cohen, Rosh Hashiva. After that, i make myself. After that, <laughs> make salary. After that, I would abolish valedictorians. That's who you award the guy who has the most brain cells. Shouldn't it be that the award goes to the best boy or the best girl? When we sit together as a staff and we create a benchmark or a metric of five or six or seven or eight traits, selflessness, humility, friendship, care, concern, religious drive, devotion, friendship, whatever they are. And you know who the biggest victims are? The valedictorian. Because you skate through high school having everyone tell you how great you are and that doesn't count for anything 20 years down the pike. It doesn't determine how good a husband you are or a father. And one day you wake up in the mirror and you're looking at a ghost. And everyone else around you have to work at actually becoming something and improving themselves and you just rested on those false laurels that you're the smartest guy on town, the smartest guy in the block. So don't get caught in the difference between intellectualism and using your brain. Be very, very careful because what happened was the age of science in the modern world, which was based on science and empirical thought, was devastating to religion. All religion and certainly to Yiddishkeit. So people became entrenched in this contest between science, reason, knowledge, intellect, and religion. It's not true. It's very, very dangerous. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not want you shutting your, your mind down and using every other part of your world, your skills, your tools, your hands, your body, to serve Him and not your brain. And Tara's Avodah Shebarash. It's also Avodah Shebalev. It starts, of course, you need to have drive and Rahman Alibaba, and obviously it's intuition and 
has to be in your kishkas, not just in your head. So that's one reason you should study Torah, not just because of the global timeless reason. Number two, if you want, as Rabbi Lachman said, you can go tonight, when you go back to your room, and go while Torah, and hook into our share from a year ago, or to, what are they up to? 275 million share? Or have they hit a trillion yet? I think they're going to outpace Apple. One day, while you tower is going to have more share than Apple has dollars. I think, I hope. And you can wiki any topic and look up Shiram online and learn about your world. So we live in the age of information, in the age of exposure, in the age of encounter. Yeah, but think about the price you've all paid to get into that world. Exposure is a double-edged sword. Take a minute and think honestly to yourself. Don't share with anyone else, because then it'll be honest. What types of things have your eyes seen that you wish they hadn't? What things have your ears heard that you wish they hadn't? And 100 years ago, that's where you'd be, because you lived in a smaller world and a purer world. And the next time you speak to your cousins in Lakewood and they say, well, we don't have cell phones, so those Neanderthal cavemen just realize that it's pros and cons and it's trade-offs. And every single person in this room, including me, has paid a heavy price for the world of exposure that we all inhabit. And you know what that price is called? It's called Tuma. And it's very, very deep in whom you are. And it's really hard to change that. You can change your behavior. You can change your behavior. You can change your mitzvahs. You can change your relationships. How do you change what's inside? How do you get into the core of your neshama and change that? That's really hard. I can change my clothing. I take my jacket off, change my shirt, change my behavior, get a haircut, grow a beard, change a kippah, put on... How do I change the insides? How do you create tahara from this tumah? And there's only one answer to that. And that's why Torah is nimshla lamayim. Because it's Devar Hashem, it seeps into the deepest cores of your being, and it rehabilitates that lost Chadesh Emenu Kikedem. You become a different person. It's transformative. It's the, like nothing else. A mitzvah of sukkah is not transformative. It helps. You grow. You find new ideas. It's experiential. Learning Torah is transformative. You become a new person. In Slabatka, and I have to tell, sitting in front of Rabbi Lachman, tell you about Slabatka. On Chodesh Elul, they announced, the Alta would announce, that the challenge this month is Nish Tzuzayin, a Besseremensch, Nar Tzuzayin, an Anderemensch. Don't be a better person, be a different person. That's why the Rambam Paskins, that a real Baal is Mishan Ishmael. Changes his name. Rabbi Cohen from MTA would always love to say this medrash. That's what I'll talk about, about someone who goes to the well to draw water. And he's constantly running back with his bucket, and the bucket has holes in it, and finally people stop him and say, you're working for naught because by the time you return, all the water is seeped out of the bucket. 
And he says, yes, but at least the bucket is cleaner than when it began. How much Torah does a person remember? It's hard to know. We hope. Whatever Torah goes through you cleans the bucket. You become a different person. Probably Torah is compared to water. Kinechalim you In Parshas Balak. Matana Nachliel. Compare it to water because it's the source of life, because it comes from Shemayim, but also because it's Mitayim. One more reason, very quickly. It's clear that we're living through a special period. It's clear that we're in the end of history. That end could take hundreds of years. But the end has begun. And that has nothing to do with whatever hashkafa you have or whatever language you use. Reb Chaim said it's the end of history. It's Idana Mashiach. Reb Chaim was no big Zionist. We just celebrated, commemorated Reb Chaim's 100th yard site. And it's clear that something's happening in our world. You can feel the buzz. You can feel the change. There are three zechuyos that Am Yisrael has to help move this process along. And try to be attuned to as many of them as you can. Not everyone can be attuned to all of them. One zechus is Aramuna after the Holocaust. That's a game changer. The fact that after the Shoah, we still dive into Tfilis a day, and we still say, On Rosh Hashanah, Ki Anu Amecha, Ve'ata Elokeinu, Anu Mami Recha, Ve'ata Mami Reinu. That matters. That counts in Shamayim. That's a voice that your Avos and Imos didn't have. Because they didn't live through or after what we lived through or after. The second schus, that's why you're here this summer, part of the reason you should see, is the Mesiris Nefesh of Am Yisrael for this land. The dedication, the devotion, the sacrifice that we're showing in coming back to this country and building our people and building our state and rebuilding Am Yisrael, that matters. That's a sign of faith. That's a sign of Amuna. That counts. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes that into account. And the third part, the amount of Torah being studied in today's world. It is not metaphorically or proverbially unprecedented. It's factually unprecedented. You would have to go back to the first base Hamikdash to find a period in which as much Torah was studied as it is now. I asked that question of Rav Aaron and of Rav Shechter, and they both said Avada. Not necessarily the depth, not necessarily, but the spread of Torah. Rabbi Lachman mentioned, you wouldn't go into this white colo. There's no one since white colo when I was a teenager. No one did these things. Learning, summers, breaks, kolels, nishmars, unheard of. Unfortunately, not everyone in our world is able to feel all these schlius. But see how many of these schlius you can grab. Your Amuna, Eretz Yisrael, and Torah. You have to feel where you are in history. To learn Torah now, to be part of this process, to go through Shas with this ease that Art Scroll and other Svarim allow you to, to hear Shiurim, it's got to be different. You have to have a sense that you're living in this period and you're building the end of time. By every page you turn, you're one step closer as everyone was, even if you learned 400 years ago. But now it's different. Now it's not just a few people sitting in a base medrash in Prague or in Yemen or in Spain or Italy. It's hundreds of thousands of people celebrating Torah, <coughs> starting at your age. So what Rabbi Achman said has to come first. Because first you have to know what the timeless values are. 
but keep in mind because you want to be mishabed your head to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Take your head. It shouldn't just be engineering and law and banks and politics and sports and internet. You know, place for Hakadosh Baruch Hu in your brain. The heavens can't support that. But you're going to keep him out of your head? And the best way to bring him into that brain of yours is to study his Ratzon. And Taras Mitaras Atmei. And it's a big Swiss family, so. And you want to be part of that way. You want to be part of that process. You just got to hear a, a pair of Torah de Forces in terms of the abstract. Why it is, why, why it is we learn Torah, what it is we're trying to uh, accomplish. Uh, for our second question, I'm going to ask our panel of Rabbanim to turn to something more practical. Uh, almost all of us in this room are headed back to either junior or senior year of high school. And there's a, uh, there's a preset menu of the sort of Talmud Torah that we're going to be offered, whether it's in our Yeshiva High School, whether it's uh, through our... NCSY region and our NCSY chapter, the, a preset menu of what's being offered. And our question for Rabbanim is a practical one. How should I go about supplementing that personally? The institution provides whatever it provides. The institution provides Gemara, the institution provides Mishnah, the institution provides Chumash. But we should see what's offered as the floor, not as the ceiling. That's not the maximum of what I want to do. We'll start with what, let's say, the yeshiva provides, and how should I go about, in what way, supplementing, adding, in, in the coming year or two of high school? No, I'm. Um, I spent roughly 30 years of my experience uh, being the bochein for Karen Biavna. So I think I have quite a good uh, view of the overall result of high school education in the United States of America. I'm not sure you want me to answer this question, Rabbi. <laughs> I'm trying to phrase it as productively as possible. <laughs> as productive as possible. Uh, I think there are two goals that every high school should have and probably build the curriculum around starting from bottom leading to the final senior year two major goals one thing I find is super important is um, well, just being practical okay and Taking into account that high schools have to deal with multiple levels of boys and there are a lot of agendas and you're not exactly in a dormitory atmosphere so the teachers can't really put all they want or can in you. I think your first goal has to be if you really want, you have to ask yourself a question. I'm going to grow up one day, hopefully, and I'm going to be in the workforce. Maybe I'll be a doctor, a lawyer, businessman, or maybe you'll be selling God packaged well as a rabbi. But um, I remember it was the bus came to my father, hey, rabbi, how's the God business? Any discounts this week? You know what I mean? So um, uh, the question is, what will allow you or be conducive for you to wake up five in the morning to learn 
before davening for an hour and a half too. That's the end. That, that's the real game. With greatest respect, that's the result, and that's what our schools both try to do, and that's what high schools should be leading to. What skills or what passion is needed to get to that result? And he, um, this is what he, man, uh, you know, the Gemara says you're supposed to respect an old guy. He's got a lot of experience. So here I'm going to talk like an alter guy. What can I tell you? I've come to see that if we will agree at this stage at the moment that the four most important tool which takes our minds and our hearts is Gemara. Why is it that people don't enjoy it and aren't willing to wake up an hour earlier to do it on their own? At the best, they'll plug into Shu'urim. Used to have iPads, now we have uh, our phones, whatever it is, Bokshem, why you Torah, there's so much today, it's crazy. I don't even know why I'm here. You can probably get all this on why you Torah. It's unbelievable. I can imagine it, Matt and Torah, God should put himself into why you Torah. We all could have slept. Do you, do you wake up for Matt and Torah? Yeah, we sleep anyway. Yeah, we slept anyway, right. I mean, to say we should have bought our recorders there and gone back to sleep. But in, in truth, what's going to... You know why people don't do it? Oh, they don't mind if someone says a sheer, they'll enjoy that. Or at the best, if they really, really work hard, they'll buy this hundred-volume thing called Chavruta or Masifta, whatever they're called. It's the cliff notes of Judaism in order not to think. Because thinking is painful. And reading something which I'm not really fluent with is painful, and it hurts my ego. And to read, as I said before, forensically, thinking carefully of the words, the language, the rhythm, and showing how everything really is important, and if you can't do it, it really is detrimental to your comfortable, comfortable sense of self. And no one wants to indulge in an activity which wounds their ego. And that's why people do not wake up early in the morning to take a Gemara and Chorus and start cracking it. Chorus, man babakama. They won't do it. And the reason they won't do it is because they were not trained to be fluent in their reading and, and, to, and, and analytical reading, forensic reading, taking it apart. They haven't become comfortable in independence of critical thought. <laughs> they may carry tons of information. Today, boy, there's so many. Every time I say something, uh, they say, oh, yeah, this one says this, this one says that. I'm careless. What do you say? I remember as a child, uh, my first year in Heaven Yeshiva, we had a Bechina Yevamis, and um, uh, we have like four or five guys in the class which were a bit so we, you know, in, in my alma mater, we protected our, our own. So when the Rosh Hashiva of Moshe asked a question to someone which we knew wouldn't know that well, so one of the, our little musketeer group would jump up and throw an answer. You know, he didn't mind that. Well, one of the guys made a bad mistake. And he asked the question of Moshe the Rosh Hashiva, and this guy says, Rebbe Chanafeg Dekasher. 
And one of the Gdaili Rosh Yeshivas in the Litta, Reb Moshe turned green. You have to understand, Chavani Yeshiva. He says, Yingale, in Yiddish, he's a little boy. Their kop is a shaf. The head is the closet. There's finite space. If you clutter it with other people's ideas, you will not have place of your own. So I think A, but A, but A of any learning in high school, how it's supplemented, how whatever you do, do what it takes to be able to have independence of reading. Be an independent reader, number one. Be an independent thinker, number two. Analyze a sentence. Does it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? Why does it? Why doesn't it? You're not, you don't know enough to make the answers and don't even try. But you're intelligent enough to start asking questions. As a young boy, I remember, I still I go back to my first year. I was a little kid. I, I, goodness sakes, I'm talking about a 15-year-old kid, okay? How old are you? I was 15 years old when I had that machina, Okay? In Yavamis. We finished the Masechta that year. So I still remember I bought these small little notebooks. They were orange. I still remember them. Little pads. And I used to like write every, every ha'orah, every question I had or every stuff I had. I just wrote it down. One, two, three. I, was too, I couldn't give answers. But I had questions and ideas. And you know what happens? Finally, idea number 35 solves question number four. And then idea number 45 actually gives proof. It's unbelievable. You know, respect yourselves. Just read. Be fluent in reading. Have independence of thought. Respect your questions. Respect yourselves. There's so much potential here. For me, seeing, a, as Moshe mentioned, kids sitting and learning in the summer, like, you, you ain't normal. Like, who did this? Like, I, I always thought God was on vacation in the summer. You know what I mean? But it's unbelievable. This, this, this is the Kiddush Hashem, like, I can't even describe it. Okay? Look at all this potential. Can you look in the mirror and respect yourselves? Respect your capabilities. Believe in yourselves. Believe that you can be independent readers and independent thinkers. Ask everything. And when someone says something in the name of, I couldn't care less who, ask Rabbi, I don't understand. Does it make sense? But he says so. So I'll say a Kaddish. I don't understand it. It's your job to understand. It's your job to question, not to challenge. Be nice. You're too young to challenge. Relax. Like your guy, please keep it in its place. Okay? But ask. Ask. And your competent teachers will give you, hopefully, answers. Of this. I'll tell you what I give sometimes. Sometimes I simply say, I don't know. That's the best answer. Those are the teachers I like the most. These honest of say, fantastic. If you ever look for a teacher, look for one like that. Because then when he says he does know, trust him. That's the cloud. So for I think the most important thing in high school should be creating and what you people can do independence of reading I mean the fluent learning by the end of 12th grade you should be able to roll through a toast if your high school did the right job and if it didn't supplement spend your time working on vocab syntax reading simply get a reader 
Gemara Rashi, actually Tosfos. That's pretty hard, I want you to know. But at least Gemara Rashi, yes, you have to know how to read. Then, next stage is, don't give up on asking questions. Oh, it says so. I don't, why? What's right? What's wrong? Does it make sense? Why don't I understand it? Why do I understand it? But then some rabbi will bring, but some book says something. And you should look at it and say, that's very nice, uh, um, uh, but I don't understand it. That's great. Say you don't understand. It's so good to say I don't know. Rashi writes so many times. I say it the whole time. I get paid for saying I don't know. Often a Rashi. Teach yourself to say I don't know. I still remember as a young boy, I um, uh, they were learning in the Mir, Mir Yeshiva Namurasa, and I was a big fan of, at the time, a very new Rosh Yeshiva there of Nachem Petzav Zechon Levracha. And I wanted to hear Namurasa by him, so I went. That Elul, I, uh, I learned Nachem Yeshiva, but I went to Nachem Shiva. It was so beautiful. Every sentence he said, Ich weiß nicht, aber efsher. I don't know, but maybe. I love this man. Oh, finally the rabbi says, I don't know. So he's like me. Great. So if he doesn't know, but he can say Efsha, I will one day be able to do the same thing. You have to be able to say, I don't know. But you should want to say, I don't know. You don't just take things shallowly. The idea of reading things like it's a reader's digest that you read in the dentist's office, I mean, it's, 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 it's atrocious. You end up with no real result at the end because your goal, I say right now, is to love it enough and feel comfortable with it enough that it won't hurt your ego. And you will actually want to wake up early in the morning to learn before you go dominant. And you will actually want to take all your art scrolls and give it to a shul. And maybe one day I'm going to bless you the biggest blessing. You'll take all your kahatis and give it to a present for somebody. You should want to be independent. I'm a bit of an anarchist, I know. Right, Tony? But it's the truth. I grew up in a school which advocated and, and nurtured independence in a, in a ferocious way. That's the honest truth. My students can can, can contest to that. And, and, and I really bless you all because I believe you can. Believe in yourselves and do whatever it takes. Become independent readers, thinkers, analyzers, and questioners. That's all I have to say. Enjoy. Um, it's pretty difficult to add to that because I agree with every word he said. I know two great people, at least in my life, who also pre prefaced everything they said with an I don't know. Rav Amital, one of my Rosh Yeshivas in the Gush, was very friendly with Rav Shach. They taught together on the same staff in Yeshivat HaDarom. And he told him that one of the most important lessons he picked up from Rav Shach was how important it is to say, I don't know. But to be honest, the only other person I saw in my life, who I'm sure I saw a lot of people, but one of the great people I saw in my life who really impressed this on me, and I noticed it routinely, whenever I used to ask Rav Shachter a question, he had that cute little, put his hand to his mouth, I don't know, and then... It's humility. There's a story about Rav Lichtenstein that when he first came to Eretz Yisrael, wasn't 
clean-shaven, American rabbi, doctor. No one knew what to make of him. He was a foreign alien. They couldn't process him. It didn't compute. So he sat down in the small little Beishmeders of the Gush, learning as the new heralded Rosh Hashiva. And they said, let's send over the best guy to test this new Rosh Hashiva out, see if he knows what he's talking about. So they sent over Yaakov Medan, who's now one of the Rosh Hashivas. So Medan came over to Revolutionstein and said, I have a question, and this Tosos is important to a line in the Tosos. And Ravara was very humble, and he also listened with a lot of respect. He didn't interrupt you. If you talked to him, he let you speak for half an hour, and then would answer your question line by line, whatever you were told, not just the text, but any question you had. So Ravaran sat there like this, listening. So Yaakov Medan thought, oh, he probably doesn't know what I'm talking about. He's an American rabbi. He can't understand the Tulsa. So he said, he made it easier. This is what Tulsa is talking about. And this is Tulsa's question. And, you know, it's called Tosvos. I don't know what this word means. Can you read? And Ravaran sits there like a little boy. So Ravidan said, I better zoom out. <laughs> Says, well, the Gemara is talking about such and such. And Rashi says, and gives him a short summary. And Tosvos, who lived in France in the 13th. <laughs> and Ravaran is sitting there like this. So Ravidan is starting to twist his mustache. And, uh, <laughs> we got this guy. Says, you hold the Gemara this way. And you read from right to left. <coughs> They started to give him the ABCs. And when Yaakov Eidan was finished with his little presentation, Rav Lichtenstein quoted 60 Makaros in answer to his one light of Tosos, quoting the page of every single Rishon, far out Rishon and the Ravya and the Miri and the Radva and the Ursa line by line quotes. And Yaakov Eidan went back to his little corner with his tail between his legs. So those are the people that really know Torah, people who don't have to know everything, be know-it-alls, and say, but you know, you know. It's true in life also, by the way. Poise in life is confidence plus limitations. If you want to be a poised person, you're confident in what you do well, and you know what you don't do well. <laughs> and if you have those two senses really finely tuned, you're a poised person. Confidence and limitations. So in terms of the question that Rabbi Cohen introduced, obviously what the Blachman said, you have to read a lot. Well-trained Rabbanim can teach you lambdas, which is the word we use for analysis of how to analyze and rip apart a Gemara and compare shown him and see, in about two to three months. Depending upon the boy, depending upon the shear, in about two to three months, attentive Bachrim can pick up that, assuming they have a reasonable background. One thing we can't give you, we can't give you reading skills. That you just have to sweat out a thousand hours of going through Shas and Rashi, Marashi Kosas. I can't give it to you. You have to go through that portal on your own. So just read massively. I think the reading is more important than the questions because that's primary and the questions on top of that. Read and read and read and read. And then when you get to upper base matters, maybe 12th grade, all pay off, because you'll know. I know with my, my own children. For each of their bar mitzvahs, I try to finish a Seder of Shas with them. I know most of it won't stick, but I just want them to be insiders into the world of Shas and go through five, six hundred blood of Gemara by the time they're 13, so that they, they know it in their kishkis, that they don't laugh. 
If you took a third of the time you spent in high school on whatever else you're spending on and dedicated that, you'd know 400 block Gemara by the time you came to Yeshiva. It's not that far off. Don't argue for your limitations, they'll become yours. Argue against them. Don't accept the glass ceiling, break through it. Don't say no one around me is doing that. I just have two additional comments to make, to complement what Rabbi Blachman said. Because Rabbi Kohn mentioned the additional learning. Especially in high school, where there may not be such positive peer pressure around you and it takes a lot of cutting against the grain and uphill swimming or upstream swimming to learn. If you find a part of Torah that excites you, don't be too elitist or select and say, well, it's not the best Torah, it's not the greatest, not what I should. Gemara says in Avodah Zarah, Your passion will ensure success and continuity, and of course it will wedge you emotionally to Torah, not just something you just check off. So don't let someone tell you, oh, you're just learning Mishnayos. That's not the real learning. Or you're just reading Masilis Yesharim. Or you're just learning Tehillim. When you grow a little older and you're in the base of matters, then I think it's a legitimate question. What types of learning and when and what's a, a more challenging form of learning and what gives you a front row seat to Ratzon Hashem and what? I'll tell you something I tell boys when they leave yeshiva. Because you're talking about boys when they're thinking about coming to yeshiva and juniors and seniors. When I have the exit conversations with them when they're leaving yeshiva, I say, well, these are the things I expect of you because everyone is different and you can't simply overlay expectations from moving on Shimon. That's not fair, nor is it productive, but you have to try to reduce it to a common denominator that applies to everyone. So one of the things I tell them, and I'll tell you already as a starting point, you have to learn to discriminate between reading about Judaism and learning Torah. Today there are wonderful opportunities to read about, to hear shiurim about religion and Torah, to read Rabbi Sachs' work, for example. But there's something about reading Devar Hashem, about sitting in front of a Pasuk or a Rashi or a Gemara or a Tosvos or a Mishnah, and you can confuse the two. You can say, well, you learned Torah, what did you learn today? I read an article about Torah. Now some of them, for example, when I read Rev. Lichtenstein's works, they're so stocked with Mekoros, it's like you're learning a sugya, even when he's talking about Avodah Hashem, he's not talking about a sugya, he's just quoting so many Midrashim and so many Psukim and so many Rambams, it's like you're learning a sugya in Avodah Videos. But you have to, even at this stage, learn the difference. So there are wonderful books out there about religion, about Torah, about Judaism, they're all important, they'll help you, but you can't mistake that in your mind. And maybe you'll spend 90% of your time reading them because they're necessary where you are right now. You're involved, for many of you, on the stage of Hashem. You're preparing yourself to learn Torah. When a sofa writes a Sefer Torah, he spends a lot of time being machshavikvilim, making sure that the paper is smooth and you can be right on. So for many of you right now, Maybe you have to be involved in Heksher Mitzvah of Talmud Torah, which isn't necessarily learning Torah, but preparing yourself when you play basketball, when you're healthy, when you grow, when you're a teenager. You're making sure that one day when you learn, you'll be a full, broad, thinking, healthy, interactive person that can take Torah and learn in a full, sweeping way, not just in a narrow, autistic fashion, where it's cut off from everything around you. So don't be afraid to follow your passion. If something comes into your world and it excites you, I would say for now, 
in two years, speak to your Rebbe when you're in Yeshiva and update that. But for now, don't be too selective. A lot of people have been over Bittal Torah through that road. The, war, the road of Bittal Torah is oftentimes paved with selective, elitist decisions about what's real Torah or not, and then you don't let anything. Garnishment, garnished. And here's the second point I wanted to compliment to Rebbe And it's not about what you learn, it's about when you're not learning. Because as much as you're learning in the summer, and then says, why call out? Let's face it, in a week and a half or in two weeks, school's going to start. And you're not going to have this much time for learning. And you know what? I hope I'm incorrect. But for some of you, you may not even be as motivated as you were in the summer. And when you have time, you won't be learning. Because you'll be involved in a lot of other things. I hope it's not true, but it may happen. If it does, it won't be the first time it happens. So I want to tell you what to think when that happens. Try as hard as you can to learn. Try to find chavrusas. Try to go to the mishmar. Try to go to the masmid and shir and whatever masmid and opportunities you have, if you can. But at this stage and at this age, it's important not just what you're doing when you're learning, but what you're thinking of when you're not learning. And this is what I'd like you to think. I'd like you to dream. Right now, I'm 15 years old. I'm living in Woodmere. I'm in high school. I'm living in Teaneck. I'm living. And I don't have that many opportunities. And I, quite frankly, I don't have that much drive, even if I have the opportunities. I'll try to improve it, but I'm, I'm who I am. But can you dream and say, yeah, but that's now. One day, I'm going to be a really big Tavachacham. And I'll do what I can now, but sometimes I'm limited in resources and drive. I think too many boys your age give up that dream. And it's all right to be a teenager and not have that much opportunity to accomplish, but still have these great dreams. And say, one day when I break out of this world and have more time, and I'm back in an NCSY color-like environment for two years, not for six weeks, or for seven years, because I'll go and spend two years in the yeshiva, and then I'll spend five, six years in a base medrash. It's all right to be that also. Try to be a little of each. Advance your potential, move forward in 11th grade, but you're gonna hit a wall. It happens. Just because you hit the wall doesn't mean game over. Doesn't mean it's finished. Doesn't mean, well, I'm not learning like Ellen says why call out. I look at the guy sitting down the table from me, he's learning around the clock, and I don't or can't or don't want to. Okay. Yes, a little more motivation, a little more background, whatever. You're you, he's he. <coughs> Think about my own high school. I wasn't as blessed as Urbachman to be running from Yeshiva to Yeshiva. I went to high school, I learned <laughs> as much as I could, but I didn't learn that much. But when I look back at it and I think about it, every moment it was clear to me that I would try my utmost to be a Tamakachim one day. That was clear to me. And when this all faded and high school ended and I got to the big leagues, then all of a sudden I knew this is something I want. How many of you want that? Many of you are going to 12th grade. What are your plans for yeshiva? Go and be a firm guy, to have a good experience and go with friends? Can you say that word? Does that word mean anything to you at this stage? You want to be a Tamakachim. A Tamakachim is hard to quantify, but it's at least seven, eight years of work. It doesn't come in two years. Two years is just the actual. Seven, eight, it's hard to again quantify, but 
you need to work hard. You need to dedicate time. I'm not telling you what you should do when you get back. I'm telling you what you should dream. And dreams are important also. Because it frames what you'll be going through. And not every one of you will be able to learn as much as you want and hope you can learn. But that shouldn't in any way blind your imagination to what you will do one day when the terms are a little bit more favorable. Thank you. We have only a half hour left. There's more than one question on the docket. We'll see uh, quality is even more important than quantity, as both Rabbanim have been stressing. Um, so before we turn to yet another sort of question, maybe let's push this one a little bit further. We're talking about learning in high school and things to learn and ways to learn and ways to grow, uh, which are different aspects of both Rav Blachman and the Raitarigan address. Raitarigan turned our attention in particular uh, towards thinking about different fields of Torah and different fields of Torah that may draw our interest, and everyone has his own interest. He quoted Malcolm Shalibo Chafitz. Uh, Blachman spoke earlier about Talmud Torah as a way of, in some human way, coming to know HaKadosh Baruch So when we think about different fields of Torah that we might want to expand on, on our own, over the course of the next year or two and beyond also, in terms of maximizing our Talmud Torah, maximizing our growth over the course of high school, so Machshava is definitely an important field. Um, there are different types of uh, Sifri Machshava, there are different types of Jewish thought. Um, certainly Sifri Chasidus has uh, attracted more attention over the last couple of years than the couple of years before. Some people are taken by Chasidus Shesvarim, some people are taken by Nefesh Achayim, by Mesil Sisharim, other flavors. Maybe the Rabbanim could address um, how to sort of work through this. How to sort of work through what flavors of Machshavit uh, might attract me and how to go about most effectively engaging them, whether it's Hasidus or otherwise, Ishbits or otherwise. <laughs> I guess you think I'm Ben and Jerry's. You want what flavor? Pistachio. Oh, God. In truth, at the age of 15, a typical high school boy, that's a pretty hard question to answer, if at all. Uh, I come from a very strong literature background. And I actually do believe that uh, Talmud Bavli is the best Machshava book available. But it's either that or to see this children, right? That's your question. Uh, I was thinking Tanya, maybe. <laughs> First, they have to not make a laning. Look, um, <clears throat> the Ramam writes, let's start, let's start with an orderly, what this should be done. Okay, the question is how are we going to relate to the literature available today. I'm not well versed in the contemporary literature. I mean, I am um, just like in the Achoinim, I stopped it with Kiveger, Be'erich. Uh, I'm not used to these new books. I grew up in an older world, which uh, we talk and read those books with Rashi script. Um, Rambo writes in Hilchis Yisraeli Atoira 
Peridalit. The Rama writes that it is true that there's a thing called Dover Gado and a Dover Katan. Dover Katan, the small thing, no, is Bavli Yerushalmi, Sifra, Sifri, Machilta. That's Havai's not by but that's called Dover Katan. Dover Gado, well, the eyes of Ramam is metaphysics, philosophy, probably the new, nouveau uh, world of thought. Don't want to be too. Uh, uh, the neo world, they would probably call it Pesetzne, uh, Chsidis, whatever it only be. The Rebbe puts one thing clear. He writes, it's very important to know God. It's very important to uh, go into depth and disciplines which enhance your God awareness and your understanding of God at the highest level. Whatever literature he means is not relevant at the moment. But he says he thinks this should only be done after you have mastered it's called Talmud. And the Raman says why. And I'd like to focus on one reason the Raman brings. Raman says, because this is the literature which is Miyashev Esamoyach Vesalev. It creates a stable, disciplined thinker and a person which reacts in a balanced way. It is only after one has attained maturity of thought and the good checks and balances of logical thinking, then it is actually wise and important to engage in so many different disciplines. And let me explain why. And this is where the issue is really quite strong. There is a certain feeling today, I mean, excuse me, use the term which I had a little problem with. You said, my heart, my neshama. In Tanya State, that's where the Nefesh of Bahamas is. My Nefesh of Kiss lies here, by the way. Remember that. Uh, but this is the experiential Neshama of the Nefesh, the Rambam, Nefesh HaSichlis, lies in the mind. Um, one must understand that there is a certain trend today of, um, of, of identifying Ruchnius with experiential Judaism. Feeling, you know, the teddy bear God. Like the most powerful thing is God loves us all, hallelujah. And how do we get close to God? I'll tell you how you get close to God. You go up to the, some rooftop in the old city, a few candles, probably in Shvata Kotel, you know what I mean? A few candles and a guitar, and we sing Kumbaya, or, or, and we feel close to the Lord. Well, let me tell you, when I was a kid, there was a magazine called Rolling Stone Magazine. Did you ever hear it? Well, the Rolling Stones, there, that was something else, right? But the magazine. Okay, so in Rolling Stone Magazine, there used to be very interesting advertisements. Excuse me. Well, I remember an advertisement. You can pay, if I, seven bucks those days that was money and when they die they'll cremate you and put you into this capsule and then they'll put you up in some thing you know they'll orbit around the world and you'll be closer to your maker do you think you're closer to God when you're in a plane than when you're sitting on the ground do you think you're closer to God sitting on a rooftop than sitting here do you're closer to God because you have some dream that you're close when you're not being a kind of mitzvahs? 
The only way you will be close to God is through filling his Ratzon and filling your essence with Torah and mitzvahs. By the way, Avos Hashem is a mitzvah. You may be close to your navel by feeling good about yourself, but that doesn't mean closeness to God. Do you really want a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Fill your essence with his wisdom, fill your energies with his maizim toivim, and that gives, that's called dveikus Kaddish Baruch Hu. Walk him, talk him, think him, sleep him, eat him. Ramam describes the person that's close to God that he's so, so, so infatuated that he actually thinks of nothing else. We're not there. Don't worry about it. Ramam says very few people got there. It's the mile of Ramavinu. But that's the goal. Now people think, how does one get there? It's when you know God, when you learn in a disciplined way of what it means, what is Ashgach Pratis, what is HaKadosh Boku, what is relationship with man, you think, what does he demand from you? When you have a clear picture, then you fall in love with it. But just taking information which will make you feel good about yourself, that is not avoid this Hashem. That is very important psychologically. It is very, very... It may be a hechsher mitzvah to make you want to do mitzvahs. Avodah Hashem has to be an emotional upheaval coming from profound understanding. It's, there's a very famous book written by the second Rebbe of Lubavitch, Kuntus Ha'ispailus. And he describes there are two ways that people have emotional upheavals in religion. One he calls, which is commonly found today, Hitpalut Reikanit. People go into fervor, into some infatuation of some imaginary thing which isn't there, and they're like, wow, and I feel close to. It's like falling in love with a movie star by putting up a pinup. But she doesn't know you. You're not close to her, you're close to your imagery. It's got nothing to do with the relationship. You've created a relationship with a figment of imagination. This is, by the way, Ramam in the third volume, which elaborates on the same thing in the Maya. That's why when I was a child, yeah, we learned Tanya. Yes, I agree. I actually had permission to learn Tanya in those days. It wasn't allowed before 13. I had private permission from the Babacher Rebbe Zechernel of Rock and started at 11. They wanted to snare me into there. You know, I come from a Litvishir family. They figured, you know, uh, you didn't, know you didn't last. <laughs> I, I went, to, I, I left. But, uh, but it was good. It was a very important, it was, it was a very, very important part of my life. That's the honest truth. But, yeah, you know what it is? Books like Tanya are not inspirational. They are very orderly describing what God wants from you and a systematic way of how to get there. Unbelievable. There's no, oh, it's a good fort, and that's the Bechina of Avram. Do you ever see these Chasidish forts on Chumash? It looks like Avram and Sora are two missiles which are colliding, and all of a sudden, light comes in. Boo, there's a rainbow. I don't know. You're the Bechina of X, and you're the Bechina of Y. Two Bechinas to get together, and they have a cluster of children. That's what these things look like. If you're inspired by that, I personally prefer C.S. Lewis. I'll be honest, at least I understand the English. Um, 
I mean, well, I can give you a reading list if you want, but Rebush can do better than me on that one. Your Rebbe turned me on to it. What do you want from me? <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, he did. My neighbor, I told you. Not the Nanya, the other ones. Okay. But uh, really, I mean, yes, see, you want to learn things that grow to develop, develop in deep, profound inner world. Start working. Tanya may be hard at this age. It is very hard. But try, try, maybe Mesil Sishorim, maybe Derech Hashem of the Ramachal, orderly books which are systematic, which demand actually, they take blood, man. They demand. They demand from you to work. As a young, young boy, I can uh, suggest, if you don't mind, Revolba, Zechayim Levracha, was a great mashgiach. Not exactly my palate, but his book, he has a book called Alei Shur, it's very orderly, it's a systematic book demanding piece by piece. He literally writes, don't go to chapter 3 before you understand and try to internalize chapter 2. It's a workshop book. Now there is a book like that for high levels of chassidus from the Holy Pesetzner, but it's far, far, far from where I guess any of you are. These are books of Balei Darga. These are books where you're not there yet. You will be. You will be. You will. You will. I'm sure you will. But I think that at the beginning, one has to develop an orderly understanding of what he can do, who he is, you know, how to daven, for example. What does Tfila mean? You think it's closing your eyes and going like this? I remember watching Lubavitcher ever daven for four years every Shabbos. He stood ramrod straight and didn't move. He didn't look like these windshield wipers in the rain, you know. You see these guys davening like this. He didn't go, oh, yo, 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 yo. He didn't do all that. He was evidently famous, if I don't know, literally standing as a servant in front of a king. You could see he, he, he was white. But he didn't, there was nothing, no movement. It was unbelievable. He had what to think about. Whatever you learn, find forum which will be orderly, which will be systematic, which will also demand. Remember as a child, child, 16, I was looking around the Musa, I, I came, I went for four years in Lubavitch, so this Musa literature was not exactly what I was used to. And uh, I found a book so, you know, some nice drushes, oh, if Romovian does that, that means I can do it too. I'm not sure I can. You know what I mean? Oh, some people say, well, how can you do it? I guess you can. These type of things that didn't work for me. And I actually found a book. I just want to give you an example. And I, I read it from cover to cover a few times. Someone took it from me. I never got it back. It was written by the Mashgiach of Slavotka, the prime student of the Alta called Ravom Grodzinski, called Torat Avraham. I fell in love with the book. You know why? He demanded. I don't want to sound Shakespearean, but he demanded his pound of flesh. He demanded. And you really felt afterwards, I got to do something about this. Find Svarim, which will demand. Find Svarim, which will be orderly and systematic, and you will, you'll thank me for this. So that's what I think is very important. Those are the books I think you should be looking for, if at all. Thank you. Question or the next question? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Okay. If someone's speaking in here. Okay, so give me an N sign. Give me an N sign. I'll relate to something which Rabbi Lachman spoke about from a slightly different angle, but it's really a very similar point. A few years before Rabbi Lachman was Nifter, someone asked him, what do you want to be written on your kever? Now, could you imagine you could have filled a row of kvaros with accolades and divrei shabach and divrei hesped for Rabbi Lachman One kever, one stone would have been futile to try to contain. Without missing a heartbeat, he gave a very simple answer. He wants two words on the kever. Oved Hashem. And if you go to see his kever, so it is. It's a clean kever. No psukim, no poetry, no rashitevis. Oved Hashem. And I think Rabbi Lachman was talking a little bit about that. What are the words that people are using today to sell religion to you, to make you buy in? Why should you be from? Why is it good to be from? Why should we learn Torah? Because it's meaningful and it's purposeful and it lends redemption and values and it's all true. But that's not a vote as a Avodah Hashem is hierarchical. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the Avodah Shalom. <coughs> When's the last time you did something really, really hard in Avodah Hashem? Religion has become too easy. You're not in touch with kashras because people do it for you. You have no clue what Shabbos is because you carry whatever you want, wherever you want. So the struggle is not to walk out of your house on Shabbos or not to eat certain food. Do you even know what those are? We've created a world, Baruch Hashem, in which it's so easy to be from that we're redefining from kite based on ease. And it's emulsifying our Avodah Hashem. It's making it too smooth. Remember a couple of months ago, there was a woman who published an article in the New York Times a from woman trying to sell and explain Shabbos to non-Jews. She's talking about how lovely it is to hang around the living room with her teenage daughters in their pajamas, playing board games, having conversations, family time, shutting down the screens, large meals. Sound familiar? I read that article and I asked myself, what happened to Shabbos Lashem? It's a part of Shabbos. But what about Shabbos Lashem? What about stepping out of Ovda Dechol and Big Dechol and meeting the Rabbanu Shalom by stopping and ceasing your entire day? Did you ever have a hard Shabbos in your life? Did you ever get stuck somewhere? In a hotel or an airport or on the side of some city? Did you ever have a Shabbos Lashem? See, in Eretz Yisrael, we have Shabbos Lashem because the power goes out every once in a while in the gush. So I had plenty of cold Shabboses with cold food, freezing sitting under covers and that Shabbos Lashem. I'm not comfortable. I'm not playing board games in my nicely heated home. It's Shabbos Lashem. And it's similar to what Rabbi Lachman was discussing before. Are you looking to make yourself feel good? Well, in addition to that, as part of that, you're looking to submit 
Batel Ritzon Chamev Nei Ritzona. So I'm not going to tell you which books to read, but whatever books in Svarim you read, try to translate it to both. In today's world, you can't just get by doing it for our Kodesh Baruch Hu. It has to have meaning for you also. It has to resonate, because this is a world that's looking for meaning, and people are searching for identity. And if you're able to fuse from Kai to your identity and say, well, this is going to help me be a better person and be better Balmidos, you have to. But there also has to be a place for our Kodesh Baruch Hu and for Avodah Hashem. And I'll try to just cover the last question that we were supposed to speak about tonight and we're not going to have enough time to fully pay attention to. But what do you get in a Rebbe? What should you see in a Rebbe? That's a very, very long question. We had a whole separate section about it, but I'll try to link it to what we just talked about tonight. I think that in our world, people are not focusing enough on Midos. Because the world doesn't care about Midos. Because in our world, no one's really talking about honor, and respecting other people and humility. Not mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are mitzvahs. Midos are midos. There's no mitzvah to be humble. It's just a midah. You're not mekayim a mitzvah through humility. You're just taking the personality that Hashem gave you and being metakid and making it a better of it Hashem. Every mitzvah you do is better because you're a bal, you're an anav and you're a bal midos and you're a... It's very, very hard to learn midos from a sefer for two reasons. First of all, because every Sefer is written within a particular historical context, and as much as you can translate, a lot gets lost in the translation. As powerful as Masil Sisharm is, it was a very different world in Italy in 1725 than it is in Bergen County in 2018. So you can map and you can translate, but it's very different. The world isn't as dark as Masil Sisharm describes it. You can read about the Masil Sisharm and read it all day long, and then you get into your SUV and you go to Yankee Stadium and you eat a hot dog and you come home and you go swimming. It doesn't really resonate with the same direct correspondence. But it's also important because whatever you read about in a book, as much as you know what's right, think about the last time you did something wrong, the last time you made a mistake. You know it was wrong if you stop yourself in midstream, is this right or wrong? It's wrong. But you did it anyway. Because whatever you think about in abstract melts away in the passion of the moment. You can sit in your fireplace in a moment of serenity and write a long list of what's proper behavior and what's improper behavior. But when push comes to shove, you have a need, and most of them are not physical, but they're deep psychological needs that you have to solve, it's always easier to take the path of least resistance and act in an inappropriate way just to solve the problem you're facing. And there's really only one solution to that, to Midos and Gevura, is having role models. Rabbi Lichtenstein told us that when you're facing a challenge for one of your Midos, you find yourself getting angry, you find yourself being jealous, you find yourself being petty. You find yourself being cynical. Whatever challenges you're facing, don't think in abstract what's right and what's incorrect. Find a role model whom you admire and ask yourself, how would that person behave? 
because it's much more concrete and much more compelling and less ambiguous and less justification, less wiggle room. Because everyone's an Einstein when it comes to self-justification and to giving yourself discounts and excuses. Well, this problem and that problem and this issue and that, and I have to, I need to, and I can't. Learn to be someone that doesn't give himself discounts. That doesn't let, don't let yourself off the hook. Don't torture yourself by your failures. Admit your failures and move on. But don't always look for reasons why you're right, as we said earlier. Look for reasons why you're wrong. Real leadership, like one of the words today drives me crazy. It's a shiny metal object. You want to get a boy's or a girl's attention today? Leadership training seminars. Rabboni Shalom, leadership training seminars is here. Right here. I, I have these haunting memories from 1996 of two boys who are in yeshiva, and they were like overcome by a dibbuk. Because they were going to spend two afternoons a week leading the country and becoming leaders. And I pleaded with them, we need today Tara's leaders. We need you to sit and learn Shas. And then one day you'll be a leader. Could you imagine if every leader in our world loved Shas? This is your chance. I just couldn't get through to them. They were hypnotized. Leadership. <coughs> be careful. Real leadership? Admitting your mistakes. Saying you're wrong. Nothing wrong to be human. I don't know. I made a mistake. The sooner you learn it, the bigger a leader you'll become, and you'll lead by leading yourself first. So we asked Rev. Lichtenstein, Rebbe, who is your role model when you had these challenges? And everyone in the room expected him to say the Rav. Of Salvation, his father-in-law, Tom and Mufak. He didn't. Rav Lichtenstein told us that his role model was Rav Aaron Soloveitchik. And those of you who had the schus to know Rav Aaron Soloveitchik can understand what that statement means. I saw no one in my life with more moral outrage and indignance and more sense of right and wrong than Rav Aaron Soloveitchik. He was irrepressible. He was irrepressible. <coughs> you need role models in this world. And the problem you're facing is you... you are raised in a world of distrust. And it's really hard to find role models if you're not willing to trust people. Because everything you've experienced has been proven to be false. Your athletes are all on drugs enhancers, and politicians are taking money, and all sorts of scandals. So you're trained to view the world through the lens of, of distrust. And you have to believe in people. Most people in this world are good people. 99.9% of them. It's the 0.001% that grabs the headline on social media. Most people as well are really good people. And if you just open your eyes, you meet a lot of them, and you'll read some really good role models. And work on those meetings, because it's not about a particular, you just have to end with one story. You can't get lost. There's a swirl today. It's making you think that the only index for how to be <coughs> is what's usher and what's mutter. It's not true. There has to be a sense of what's right or wrong, even if it's not a mitzvah and avera. It's very, very dangerous. On many fronts, I don't have time to talk about tonight. I was in a shul in Eretz Yisrael a few weeks ago, and I went to the restroom, and they were plastered on all the walls. It's usher to use too much toilet paper, because if you flush too much toilet paper, the toilet's going to get stuffed up, and it's gazela, because, and it's usher to use too much towels, and it's gazela, and a rump. What have we come to? It's us to use too much toilet paper because of a rambam? Because you're over Xalo because you're ruining the toilet and the plumbing? <coughs> you're respectful to the person who's going to use the bathroom after you, the maintenance crew, the people on the shul. 
it is very, very dangerous to make everything into what's usher and what's mutter. There has to be a place for right and wrong, even if it's not usher. What's right? Usher's emes, meshu emes. And how can you be a person that does what's right and behaves what's right? And there's no mitzvah there for me. It's the only midah that's usher is gaiva. The only midah that's usher is the midah of gaiva. Every other midah is just good for you. We'll stop. I take this opportunity to thank Rabbi Blachon and Targan, not only for their time, but uh, they did what they spoke about, which is believing in all of us and willing to challenge us to think deeply and to work hard. And I think the best way we could thank them for the time they invested here is to actually do that. To work hard and to think hard about the ideas and the challenges and the high destinations that they set for us and to live up to those models. I want to thank them so much for their time and I think we're going to move to the next step of our program.